Hello, and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. Jesse Wilms is the owner of several vehicle history websites and currently resides in Las Vegas, Nevada. His websites provide various free vehicle history information. When using his services, you can check the history of used cars and see if it's been in an accident, if it's reliable, if it's had any recalls, and what consumers think about it and how they reviewed it. It started out as a concept in 2015, but it has turned into a pretty successful site with about 4 million people using it each month to get free vehicle information. Even at a young age, Jesse was always interested in business. When he was 15, he began to read a lot of different books on business, focusing primarily on biographies and stock investing books, but he would read basically every book he could get his hands on. Jesse was fascinated by investors like Warren Buffett. Since he had been reading so much, he started getting involved in business by selling books online by the time that he was 16. He did not feel it was worth it as it took quite a bit of effort to make a small amount of revenue. However, it taught him valuable lessons that led him to selling computer software online. Jesse Wilms enjoyed it so much that he quit school at the age of 17 to continue pursuing his passion of selling products online and being self-employed. Hi, everyone. On this week's episode of Industry Elites, we're really excited to have entrepreneur Jesse Wilms on the podcast with us today all the way from Las Vegas. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. So the first thing we usually start off with all of our guests is we want to know how has COVID been treating you? What's life like right now looking for you like in Las Vegas? You know, life's okay right now with, with COVID. I actually recently got back from Ecuador a few days ago. I was climbing oh, wow. some volcanoes uh, there. And so, you know, that was a lot of fun. My approach to COVID is be cautious, always wear a mask, avoid big groups. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to stay at home all the time. So it's, I think it's a balancing act to still enjoy yourself, but not be stuck at home all the time. Well, that's definitely very adventurous. I think Vicky and I have made it to our couch, to the outside of like our homes. <laughs> I really wish we were on that kind of level there. Was that like a last minute decision? Did you have that plan for like a month or so? How did that come about? You know, Ecuador is some of the most famous volcanoes in the world. So Cotopaxi is about 19,000 feet. And that was my goal to climb it for, for a long time. And I've, I've had some other trips canceled due to COVID. So I had kind of this lull in my schedule. So I'm like, I'm going to go away for a week and, and go climb it. So it was kind of a spur of the moment due to, you know, some other cancellations. I mean, that makes my spare of the moment plan seem very lame, but that sounds super cool. <laughs> uh, I was kind of curious. So our lockdowns and kind of rolling lockdowns, as I guess you want to call it, are quite different across the world and especially kind of Canada versus the United States. I imagine Vegas is quite empty right now. Is that true? And is that kind of a weird thing to see? Because it's always packed. The weirdest thing was in April where you could go to the strip and there'd be no one on the strip. We actually had these geese walking across the strip and it was this famous <laughs> picture across all the news. So that was crazy. Now, you know, in October, November, it's starting to pick up. So it's not back to where it was, but it's it's getting closer. So I really like seeing that. You know, it's tough to see a lot of friends and whatnot who, you know, are, are hardworking people, but either don't have jobs or are slower right now. But fortunately, it's starting to pick up. So to me, I call it a little little bit of a, a new normal. That's fair. 
So have you been working from home during this or is it kind of all systems normal for you? If you have been working from home, how's that going? Has that affected your kind of work-life balance or being at home in general? I know a lot of people are kind of hard to get into it. Myself, I'm absolutely thriving and I love it, but I know others are getting hard to switch in between kind of work and home because our desks are now in our living rooms. For me, the first two months were from home. And, and now what we're doing is it's, it's really optional to be at work. And, and about three of us are at work right now. So I would say it's fine. I like having somewhere to go. So I'm not, it's, it's hard for me to balance life when I'm always working at home. So I have, we have individual offices at, at our place. So it's, I would say it's fairly safe, but I'm really happy to be not stuck at home 24 seven. Yeah. That's one thing we realized is it's, it was extremely difficult to find that balance because a lot of times we found ourselves working later being at home now versus actually being in the office because yes, you hit that four o'clock instead of packing up our, our bags, it's shutting off our computer and taking that drive home. You're realistically like two minutes away from, let's say you're downstairs, depending on where your area of work is. So you're like, okay, I'll just work like an extra 20 minutes, an extra 30 minutes. And then you're like at your computer, you end at four and it's six 30. You're like, oh, maybe I should stop now. So I think that was the realization a lot of people were trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to navigate this? And how can I still stay a sane individual during this time, but then also making sure that I'm thriving in my work side as well. So yeah, that was definitely something I think a lot of people were struggling with during this time. Definitely. As a manager too, I really learned through through COVID that a lot of people really excel working from home. So the big takeaway for me is not be so strict going forward. And you know, if someone can work well from home, let them continue to. If if they prefer working in an office, let them do that. But how my management style would really change going forward is give people a lot more freedoms because some people work well on different schedules, work better at home where there's no distractions, and it's really letting each person find out where, you know, their kind of perfect routine is. Yeah, that's a good point you actually brought up. So would you say you were you were really skeptical about the work from home situation prior to COVID kind of taking over our lives? Yeah, you know, before I was very much like, okay, you have to start at this time, end at this time, you have to be at the office, a much more rigid schedule. And and, and I've learned that everyone has a different ideal work environment. So now I'm much more open-minded to whatever works for people. Myself, I like being in an office, but I also recognize other people, you know, find that much more distracting and whatnot. Yeah, I find for me, I'm quite content here. Um, I don't find it distracting at all I find kind of everyone else that I've talked to is just like no like I have to go into a back room I need to separate it completely I need to close the door and leave meanwhile my desk is like I have a open concept like living room dining room so my desk is like kind of the divider in between the living room dining room right now and when I log off I just go six feet to sit on the couch and it doesn't seem to bother me none but I know a lot of others like they need to segregate that to completely break it up on a kind of random note, but on a COVID sense, I literally just got an email from one of the local malls here. And I thought this is really funny because they're doing Santa this year, which like very surprised me. And then they have the rules listed for Santa. I just thought this was too funny not to share just with like the timeliness of our COVID conversation. But 
the rules are you have to wear a mask when visiting Santa. So kind of ruins your photo op. You have to be sanitized, um, your hands, obviously, no big deal. And this, is what, this is what I thought the funniest part. Visits with Santa must remain at a reindeer's distance to ensure two meters of physical distancing. So you have to, like, stand six feet away from Santa in your Santa photo. It does make a unique story, though, when you look back on that photo 10 years from now and we've kind of, you know, almost forgotten about her. It's not in our not in our mind. So to me, that's embracing the new normal a little bit. Yeah, it's true. When the kid gets older, you can show them, (laughs) look what we had to do just so you can see Santa. I mean, this now saves on the fact of all those parents that had to push their kids to go sit with Santa when they're crying. They're like, who is this scary man that you're making me go take a picture with right now? So all these kids are probably going to be smiling. The parents are going to pay for photos that their kids don't look miserable in. So maybe there's a a new idea along with this. (laughs) So... Jesse, we want to obviously get into the fact that you are an entrepreneur and you've built such successful businesses over the course of your course of your lifetime. And your start was a little bit interesting as well. So as an entrepreneur now and looking back on it, what would you say sparked your curiosity to start your own business? Because I know you started young, like you it was around 17 or 18 when you essentially decided I'm going out on my own. Yeah. So it was pr- probably at about age 15, I realized in school that I was never top of my class and my mentality has always been to you know really excel at, at whatever I choose to do and and go all in and, and and I found myself slipping a bit in schools so I took a step back and I'm like well what do I really want to do and 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 business seemed very exciting to me so early on I started you know that kind of prompted me to say I'm going to start reading some business books. I'm going to start educating myself and you know see if there's some sort of niche where where I can excel and, and, and something that can really play to my strength. So very early on, I did a lot of self-education and whatnot. And that helped me a few years down the road when I wanted to start my own business and, and wanted to kind of go off on my own, having that experience and that background. When you read about a lot of different entrepreneurs, a lot of books that give you guidance and whatnot, all that knowledge over time helps you as you look to kind of find your niche. Out of all the kind of entrepreneurial and like business startup books that you have read, what do you think was the like most informational one or which one was your most favorite? Well, the first book I ever read really sticks out at me and that was The Millionaire Next Door. And it was a study on people that were millionaires and and what was different about them. What it really taught me was how to manage money and how to approach things. So typically the millionaire isn't the person with the really nice car or, or the huge house. Sometimes it's the person with the modest house and the modest car, but they've really managed their money well. And, and they've you know done a lot of different things that you may not expect. So it taught me to look at things a little differently. And if, if you did want to be a successful entrepreneur, like I wanted to be at the time, I would really need good management skills with money and just learn how to look at things a little differently than than I previously thought was was true. That's super interesting. You mentioned something about finding that niche. So obviously there's a lot of ideas that I'm sure you came up with to narrow down that one niche where you're like, okay, I've done the research or I've seen that it, this is a bigger gap than the other one. So I'm going to invest my time and invest my resources to building this up. But 
while you were compiling that, did you find yourself like, I know some people are saying in their phones, they'll just like compile lists of things where they're like, they have an idea, they spark that, whether they're driving, whether they're out for a walk, they'll just write it down so they don't lose that. And then they'll go back to it and they'll see their compiled list of ideas. And then they'll, maybe that will spark something else. So did you find yourself doing that? Or were you like, no, I see, this is what I see and we're going for it. I found my myself more just jumping in, you know, all at once. And the first idea I had was, okay, I have all these books that I've read. What if I sold them online? And so I started selling all the books I, I had. I had about a hundred of them at that point. I sold them online and, you know, it really didn't do well, but it taught me how to sell things online, how to ship them, how to manage my finances. And, and it really sparked some ideas saying, okay, if this idea taught me a lot of skills, but wasn't necessarily profitable or a good use of time, what would be? And that's how I got into computer software. And I thought, okay, here are things that are selling for hundreds of dollars, but they're also very small and easy to ship. So that was a much better niche. So I, I kind of found that by jumping in, learning what didn't work, and then eventually finding something that did. No, that's definitely, I think that's ideal in the situation. Obviously it wasn't good that it didn't work out for you right in the beginning, but you took a lot of those learning skills. Like you said, what didn't work for me? And you implemented that moving forward into your next idea or into your next concept, which I'm sure helped to better everything for you along the way. But obviously there was some early struggles. So what would you say your earlier struggles were in terms of when you were getting your businesses off the ground? Yeah, so what when I initially started, my initial struggles were just figuring out a product that would work, a product that consumers would want, but I guess it wouldn't cost too much to ship or the margins were high enough that it would be successful. So th- those were the the initial challenges as the business evolved, definitely you would have more challenges. Like one of the challenges with say computer software was we would typically rely on third parties to buy them from. So often you you would, you would have someone that would say, buy the product, decide they don't want it. And you would kind of be the middleman for the product. So you would find a buyer and a seller and connect them. So a big challenge with that is always ensuring that okay, that it's a legitimate seller and a legitimate buyer, essentially that they're trading authentic software, that it's a legitimate seller. And and kind of that whole marketplace that we created, I would say there was a lot of challenges that went with that. Out of curiosity, how do you determine who's like legitimate enough? Is there kind of like, you know, you go on Wish and you can see all kind of the photo reviews. Is there a way to do that in your type of market? Well, back in the day with with the software market, there was lots of different ways to do authenticity checks. So often what you would rely on is when we eventually built up an inventory, we would say, call Microsoft line and say, hey, is this software authentic? And then they'd run you through a few different steps to verify that, that authenticity and whatnot. So that was always a challenge because how we would give customers discounts is, If someone bought something and then no longer needed it and then was willing to sell it, a consumer could save 50% off and really be getting the same product, but it's making sure that we did that due diligence to make sure that they were getting a product of value. These days, sites like eBay have those exact same challenges with, say, handbags, for example. You can save a lot of money buying handbags on eBay, but you want to make sure that they're they're authentic, so you're actually not getting what, what appears to be a good deal, but is not. 
no, it's definitely something to consider. And I think, yeah, that's why, I don't know, a lot of those times on those sites, I do find myself gearing myself, gearing myself, sorry, towards those reviews for that very reason. Because yeah, even if it's a deal, it doesn't matter if it's a deal, if it's not real or if it's claiming to be something that's essentially not. So you definitely seem like you acquired a lot of knowledge in the early stages while you were working through some of those struggles. Was there someone who was helping you with this, like an individual who acted as a mentor or were there minor mentors as you got into each different uh, entrepreneurial concept or niche? I would say early on, I really didn't have too many mentors. You know, probably one of the reasons why I moved to the United States, because I grew up in, in Edmonton, Alberta, which was a great place to grow up, but was largely an oil community and whatnot. So Early on, for the first probably about five years of my career, all the learnings were very much trial and error versus now, you know, living in the United States, being surrounded by entrepreneurs, really being much more in, in a community that's, that's similar to what I do. I would say I've had a lot more mentors now, but probably one of the pitfalls early on was, you know, not seeking out different people I could learn from. So most of the learnings were really by trial and error. Do you think you kind of learned this entrepreneurial spirit prior to moving to the States and being around so many entrepreneurs? Or do you think this is like something that's just, you were born with it, like it's ingrained in you? I'm pretty sure it was there from uh, from day one. Really, I would say the initial area I got started was in middle school where some of the projects were open-ended and and we had this one school project on global warming and I decided to make a website for it and I, I made this elaborate website that made all these lightning noises and I thought it was pretty cool at the time 20 years ago and whatnot so that was probably the start and and then it progressed from there. I always had pretty poor writing in school. So I was one of the first people to start typing out my projects, doing things on the computer instead of by hand. So, you know, different things happened at an early age that kind of, I would say, forced me down a road of the type of career I have today. And, and a lot of those things were just, you know, out of necessity. That's definitely something to consider because like it's interesting when Vicky asked that and then you were describing it, how there was always those elements where you were looking for different ways to do things versus that normative way that maybe other students were doing them. So I actually want to ask this because it's something that I was thinking about. How much of a difference did you notice from the lifestyle of obviously living in Canada and growing up there and then moving over to the United States? Did you find that it was an easy transition or do you find like that itself had its own difficulties? Well, yeah, when I moved to the States, I would say I would say it was a lot from where I was from. Here I'm around a lot more entrepreneurs, a lot more people that, you know, have similar to businesses to what I have. So, I would say there definitely uh, was a transition. It also from a from a talent standpoint too. We're able to find a lot more talented people here, whether it's developers, designers, project managers. So being surrounded by a lot more people in our industry is, has really helped me along. The one thing that made me kind of laugh to myself is when you mentioned like as a kid, you like to do kind of more above and beyond kind of like digital things. Uh, it made me think of one time when I was a kid, I really wanted a hamster. My dad is like very corporate. And so what I did was I made a full business proposal PowerPoint explaining why I needed a hamster and I set it up in the living room and it was a full like spreads exactly why we can get like some ROI on me having a hamster. 
I was like 11. <laughs> I got the hamster. <laughs> Thanks. It's actually funny because I was supposed to get, I don't know if you were in the States by this point, but that huge blackout we had one summer, it was like in August and the power went out like across Ontario. I feel like it was like a week. It was during that. And I was so upset because I had to wait to get my hamster. And I could not understand why we just couldn't go to the store and pick him up. Power or no power. But it still worked. <laughs> so in kind of talking with you too, you definitely seem like a very passionate person. Do you think passion is kind of a key attribute to have working in your industry? For me as an entrepreneur... Passion is definitely definitely important, but but self motivation I would say is, is is one of the keys. You have to be someone that doesn't need to be told what to do, and and someone that's excited each day to just get out of bed and and kind of do your thing. And and you also have a, a lot of persistence because when you try something, it'll most likely fail, and you'll have to continue to revise it and make changes to your business over time, and kind of be willing to deal with a lot of rejection on the way to finding something that ultimately works. That overall, I definitely think that's a good outlook to have. And But I can also see for people how that's super discouraging because if you're putting out these ideas, then I'm sure uh, all of these ideas have a level of passion attached to them and they're constantly getting shut down. How would you say you, I guess, refilled that bottle of passion, if that makes sense, to go on to the next item with the same amount of motivation? Was it just that entrepreneurial drive or would you say it was your like support from your family to excel in that type of career? What would you say that came from? That's probably what I would, you know, say that doing all the reading I had done prior to that helped me because I didn't really see the rejection as that discouraging. I, I saw it as par part of the process. And and to me, had I not had all that background and education on other entrepreneurs that, that had gone through you know similar struggles, I may have been more discouraged. So at that point, I just saw it as this is just part of the process. So in comparing yourself to other entrepreneurs, is there anything, any tips or tricks that you'd kind of want to share with people just kind of starting out or maybe a younger person wanting to kind of start out like you did um, and is not really sure how to go about that? One of the advice, pieces of advice that, that I would give is just jump in, just just go do something and and, and try it and, and don't always over plan. Sometimes I find we, we try to get things perfect or wait for the stars to align before we go do something. And from my experience, your initial plan will never be where where you end up. The business is going to change a lot. A lot of assumptions you made are going to prove to be incorrect and you know just really jump in and learn as you go versus waiting for that perfect plan that'll probably never happen. Yeah, a lot of people are maybe searching for perfection and maybe that's kind of what leaves them hanging in a sense is if they're always waiting for that moment, then they'll be like, oh, five years has passed by waiting for this moment that essentially didn't really fall into their lap, if that makes sense. But obviously, like you said, looking back now, there were so many things you you weren't able to anticipate. Um, and I'm sure your perspective, like you said, had altered as well. So what would you say to your younger self who's just starting out with the knowledge that you have now? What would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to be more open-minded to, you know, where I could be wrong and, and more willing to listen. Early in my career, you know, I, I, I thought I knew 
a lot more than I than I did. So that that's really constantly learning, constantly be open minded, and always be looking for your blind spots. I think that's one thing as entrepreneurs we don't always do a great job of. We have confidence, which helps us, but can also be our kryptonite as well. So always looking for okay, where are we making a mistake? And if, if someone gives us critiques or criticisms, be very open to it and, and ask ourselves, okay, where might they be right? Where could I make adjustments? So from just kind of reading your bio here, it said that you left school to kind of pursue your entrepreneurial career. How was the transition for that? Did you have any kind of like setbacks or people setbacks as well? Um, how did that go? Yeah. So when I was 17, I had started the software business and we were, we were starting to see a little bit of success at, at that point. It was getting very difficult to balance schoolwork with starting this business. So at that point, I felt that I had to make a decision on, okay, do I pursue this full time or, or do I drop it? And I had a lot of passion for it. So for me, it was just uh, such an easy decision. I saw the biggest risk of, okay, not taking a chance on something I love doing and it failing versus, you know, just never knowing if it was going to be successful or never kind of following my passion. So for, for me at the time, it seemed actually like a pretty logical decision, even though everyone around me maybe thought it was quite odd that, that I quit showing up for class. Was that something your parents were and your family members were kind of really against? You know, I've gotten that question many times <laughs> and uh, they didn't, when I, I, so I came home one day and, and I said, mom, I, I don't think I'm going to go to school anymore. And she asked me, are you sure? And I said, yes. And to me, that was the end of the conversation. I don't recall my dad ever bringing up anything. So maybe they had a little bit of confidence in me, or maybe they just knew they couldn't change my mind, even if they tried. So <laughs> it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't too big of a conversation. So those are some laid back parents. I feel like my parents have been like, that's not happening. You're not doing that. Like you got to finish this and do this and this, because I feel like that's like the norm of the steps people normally are taking. So when people fall outside of that norm, that's super scary because you don't like those, at least if you're following the norm, you have a trajectory of where you're going to go and the steps you're going to take are going to lead you a certain place. But when you're falling out of that, you're taking these unforeseeable steps and to like a lot of people, that's scary. So definitely commend your parents on being like, yep, yeah, okay, go do it. <laughs> well, yeah. And I don't think it's as black and white either, because to me, they were looking at it and saying, okay, I had a plan. I was working towards it. There was a vision. And they also probably knew I was pretty stuck in my way. So my guess is they were balancing all those things and, and realizing speaking up against it might not have helped the situation. So where have you kind of like what stems from all these kind of business ideas that you've had over the years? Is there something that motivated you? Was it just kind of a one off idea that ended up working out? Like, how did you go about that process? So early on, my goal was just to start a business and just to you know do something that I could be successful at. How that's evolved over the years is now my focus is much more on okay, how do I build a business that has great products that, that consumers really love? So it's evolved from just saying, okay, how are we doing financially to now, okay, is this, are we building great products? Are consumers happy? What's the reputation of the business? So getting much more off just looking at the balance sheets and saying, is this, is this a, a business that's contributing to society and, and creating a great experience for our customers? So 
as you said, with the different ventures, obviously there were some that hit and some that missed and you learned along the way. So obviously the ventures that you're currently in right now, they definitely hit and you've been successful in numerous different ways. And I believe it was mentioned that it was a bit more of like a fast trajectory for some rather than others. So how did you handle something that was going at a quick pace in a sense for like, okay, you launched and you're here, now you're here, now you're here, as opposed to something that maybe was a little bit slower uprise. Like, how do you, how do you handle a a fast changing business? Yeah. Like in a sense of like when you're starting out that things are moving so quickly, how do you and your employees essentially maybe handle that fast changing aspect within a business? Yeah. to, To me, handling a fast changing business, you I guess you don't get stuck in any one way of doing things. So you don't say, okay, we've done it this way for three years or five years. We're going to continue to do it that way. We're constantly looking at the industry and saying, okay, what's changing? What do we need to adapt to? Constantly looking at our metrics and saying, okay, what's working and, and what's not? And then when things aren't working, studying other players in the industry and saying, okay, what are they doing that we're not that that we should try? And then really having a willingness to constantly try different things and, and see what works and what doesn't. One of the things I see about businesses as they mature is they get more stuck in their ways. And, and, and to me, that's ultimately the failing of many businesses is where they quit evolving, quit being willing to change. So always having that willingness to adapt, evolve, and make changes on the fly. That's fair. That sounds really kind of motivating for people. Just to kind of switch gears a bit here, um, as we kind of draw to the end of the episode, tell us about your upcoming scholarship. Oh, so here's a scholarship that we're doing, and we're, we're giving away three scholarships. And, and this really focuses around, you know, people that want to be entrepreneurs and, and want to go into business and, and whatnot, which is something that really from an early age, I was passionate about. So what my goal is, is to help these people along. I was, you know, incredibly lucky that I had parents that supported me financially early on and and supported me in the vision I've had. But when I look out, I recognize, you know, even in the United States, a lot of people don't have the same opportunities that that I did early on. So the goal of scholarships like the one I'm offering is is to help people along early in their careers. I'm very mindful that everyone has a a different career path and, and no one does exactly succeeds in the same way, but the constant is having people around them that can support them. So the next entrepreneur that wants to go out and try something and, and look at things a little differently, you know, I would love to be there as as one of the people supporting them. That's definitely a great way to look at it. And that you just, like you said, that was your motivation behind wanting to put that out there for those students to have that opportunity. And I think even looking back at all of those scholarships that were available, that was something that would provide a bit of relief to students when especially there's so much more, I think, stress that's put on students to excel in and they think you come out of university or college or post-secondary schooling and that you should already be at a certain place. But when financial aspects are intertwined in that, that obviously adds a bit more pressure and really doesn't give them that opportunity to find the things maybe they're really passionate about and they might just end up settling because they have their student debts to pay or they or have other financial obligations that don't result around their, around their schooling. So this definitely will give them an opportunity to put 
their energy into their entrepreneurial ideas and hopefully down the line end up even as being half as successful or as successful as you are as well will lead them on that path. So before we close out, are there any final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with today? You know, beyond what I said, I would just really encourage people if they have an idea or if they have something where they see in an industry or a market that's missing, just go do it. Maybe Nike just do it is such a great slogan for business too, because so often I hear people talk about things and often they're, they're quite good ideas, but you know, we'll never know if they're great ideas or if they can be something special if, if they don't go for it. And, and I'd really recommend to see the bigger risk as not going for something and, and not knowing if it was if it could have been something really successful. That that's how I've always seen it is I'm not too worried about failing. If you go through life trying to do great things and failing, that's a great life to me. But if, if you go through life always wondering what if, I don't know. I feel like something would always be missing. You'd always be unsure if you, you know, chose the right path. So there's nothing wrong with going for something, coming up short and and trying again. But yeah, when if you have something that you believe in, uh, just go for it. Even if a lot of different people think maybe it won't work or maybe it's a risky venture, I say just just go for it and, you know, learn as you go. It was incredibly motivational and definitely words to live by, and I think I speak for Natalie as well that we had fun having you on the podcast and thank you for coming on right on thank you both for your time today 